This episode is brought to you by our friends at Veridesk. Veridesk makes office furniture simple. Seriously, their height adjustable standing desk is one of my favorites and something I use every day in my video production business, especially when I'm editing. It was really the first step to create a happier, healthier me and a more productive workspace. Today, Veridesk has a full line of furniture and accessories for the office and the classroom that are easy to order, assemble, and reconfigure as your needs change. Ready to work elevated? Go to veridesk.com forward slash behind the brand to learn more. Now let's get into our episode. Hello there, I'm Sam Gorris, Chairman and CEO of Paradigm Talent Agency, and you are watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. Hi, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today I'm here with Sam Gores of Paradigm. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. I usually ask my guests, how'd you get this job? <laughs> I, think I, um, I think I created it for myself. Now you can take the, the timeline back as far as you want to go. I've heard stories of you selling shoes and you know, uh, immigrating to this country. I've heard lots of different things. So I'd love to hear it from you, how you got started. Well, I was born and raised in uh, Nazareth, Israel, and uh, my parents, with, uh, with uh, I have five siblings, two brothers, three sisters, and, and my parents, when they were 39 years old, decided to immigrate to the United States, which ironically was from Nazareth, Israel, to Flint, Michigan. So, you know, went through most of school in, in Michigan, and then, uh, and then I uh, uh, started to go to college, but then decided to go to drama school. So I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York at, uh, to go to drama school. Then later on, I transferred, and I was in the first graduating class of the West Coast uh, branch of uh, the American Academy. And once I got out of school, I knew that I wanted to be in, I loved the business, I loved the entertainment business, and I loved the theater business, and I decided that I knew that I wanted to be in the business end of the business, not in front of the camera, unlike this, but behind the camera or, or somewhere in the business end of the, of, of, uh, the transactions. Uh, before we unpack that, because uh, I want to ask, you know, how you arrived at that conclusion, um, I, I want to go back and ask, so how did your parents feel about you declaring that you were going to become an actor? Were they pleased about that? You know, my parents were uh, really amazing people. My mother, luckily, is still alive. Father passed away many years ago. And uh, mother is going to be 90 this year, so that's pretty great. And uh, she's a big part of the secret sauce, along with my father, but a big part of that because it's no surprise that, you know, then... I have all my siblings are extremely successful, uh, which is uh, you know which is I think pretty rare. She's a huge huge part of that, but they really just left life open for us to be the best we can be for as long as we expected the most from ourselves. So I can't say that they gave me a hard time because I was the only one and still the only one now you know whatever it is 45 years later to go into this kind of business. Yeah, so you're, you're being very subtle about giving her the credit, and that's admirable. What are some of the, the lessons or the traits, characteristics that maybe she instilled in you or passed on through just DNA? Well, I mean, she, she had an amazing, uh, amazing ability to 
love and cherish and discipline and punish all at the same time. She was a bulldog and a tough, you know, a tough mom in that she, you know, always wanted you to, to, to expect the most from yourself, but she never ever stopped loving you or bragging about your good accomplishments or filling you up with confidence. Mm -hmm. So I think if I had to say anything about my siblings and I, we're all pretty confident people. And I think that, you know, that was a lot of it was really filled, uh, filled by her. And then also she, in, as far as the DNA, the concept of bouncing back or of, of recognizing, you know, wherever, like whenever there's been a setback in life, whether it's our life as a family or my life in business or, or any, you know, one I'd observe, any one of my brothers or parents, they always looked for the opportunity beyond that setback. Never considered a setback a setback until they found the opportunity that was around the corner from there. So resilience. So resilience and, and solutions to problems and all those things. I think that was, you know, that was her, her teaching. Yeah, I mean, uh, changing countries, um, <laughs> uh, coming to a place like Michigan, probably no easy transition. Um, what do you remember about early life? Was it, did you assimilate pretty well? Was it difficult? Did you, you know, did you stand out? Did you blend in? Well, early life uh, was very interesting, difficult at times. I suppose you can say you get here when you have, when you're forced to be an underdog for so long, then you somehow, it, it makes you a, a, a tougher fighter. I think early life uh, was, like early, early life, was really pretty good. Then by time, you know, we were around, or I was around 10, 11, 12 years old, then there was a lot of fighting in the Middle East. And so I was 13 when the uh, uh, Six-Day War happened uh, in Israel. And that was, I think, probably one of the reasons my parents decided and then in 1960, so that was 67, so in 1968 to move us to the United States. Mm -hmm. and, and did they have a pretty easy transition? Did they come over here and find work? No, and not, not, not at all. I mean, it, it, we, we, yes, we found work because we had family here. So we had family that was in the grocery business. My brother Alec and I, and Alec is, a, is a, just a year and a half older than I am, uh, we were the only two that really could go to work at 14 and 15 years old, so we went to work in the grocery store for 35 cents an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, none of us spoke any English except my father, and uh, so we all had to learn English uh, kind of on the fly, and that's pretty tough in, in Michigan yeah, when you're just so. starting to go to high school. In the 60s and 70s, I would think, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was pretty, that was pretty tough, 69, 70, 71. Uh, but believe it or not, we actually started speaking fluent English within six months or so. It, it was, uh, but it was tough because, you know, there's a lot of kids giving you, you know, high school, right? Kids giving yeah. you a hard time, you know, calling you camel jockey and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy uh, uh, stuff like that. So well, it was not, I wouldn't say it was uh, easy. But it wasn't impossibly difficult. It just, you know, you just were an underdog. You yeah. had to feel like you had to try that much harder to go out and make something of yourself. Yeah, and what a volatile time, too. I mean, everything was happening literally, right? You, oh, yeah. Man on the moon, yeah. and, you know, civil rights movement, and yeah. 
That's know. the first thing I remember, actually, is Man on the Moon, because I remember when we, when we, uh, when we moved to this country, it was a couple of days after Thanksgiving in November of 68. It was November 28, 1968. And, um, and across the street, or across the street, I had an aunt living there, and I remember going across to watch you know, Man on the Moon mm -hmm. with, with, uh, with her somewhere around that time. Incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit further in the chronology. So then, you know, you get to high school, you get, to, you, you go through um, the, the Academy of the Arts. Right. Uh, and you start to figure out what it is you want to do and what you don't want to do. Talk about that. How did you arrive at the fact that you, you knew you didn't want to be in front of the camera? You know, it's interesting. Uh, it's probably a series of things that happened when I was in school. I mean, when I, when I look back now, because it's, it's interesting actually to get, you know, to get to this point in my life and then look back. When I look back, I was always a little bit of an artist at heart. You know, I was, uh, I'm kind of a, uh, a singer, but I don't, I don't necessarily need to or want to do it, you know. Uh, professionally, mm -hmm. but you know, I'll get up and do a song anytime in front of anybody at a party or something like that. Okay, yeah. but I realized that that started very, very early on. I used to, when I was like eight and ten years old, used to, the only thing we had, you know, in Nazareth, Israel, was radios, so with no recordings, nothing. So I remember just would sit there in front of the radio and would just wait for that one particular song to come on, and uh, then my father. Um, who was really, really a great, uh, great man. He played this instrument called the oud. It's, it's like a, a pear-shaped guitar with a rounded back, right? Mm -hmm. So he played that, and he would play it, and I would, you know, horse around with him and, and sing with him. So I was always a little bit, you know, kind of meant to be in the arts, I feel like. Then yeah. when I, so even when I went to high school in Michigan, by the time I was a junior and senior in high school, I was in plays. And I was doing things like, you know, The Boyfriend and Annie Get Your Gun and The Sound of Music, you know. Very cool. So, uh, so I, I somehow always had a love for the creative business. Yeah. And so. Well, and I ask that with context of, you know, a lot of people who watch this show, regardless of age, I think um, one of the most amazing things about today is that in many ways age doesn't matter anymore. You know, it's about what you feel capable of doing right. if you don't have a resume right. uh, or what you've already done to kind of show other people that you're, you've got the chops. Um, and I think people can continually uh, reinvent themselves, right? And so mm -hmm. I know just from the feedback uh, that we read and talk about all the time, a lot of people feel kind of stuck. And I, I ask you those questions because I'm curious too about how you sort of found your, your calling, you know, and I think what you're talking about is, is subtle but very important. I want to underscore what you're saying. It's an important lesson. Is It sounds like you had early signals uh, of things to come, a foreshadowing, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. that you could see that um, uh, you know, being in front of people or maybe performing sort of lit you up. And that gave you, know, gave you joy. And maybe that wasn't going to be you, you know, your calling all the time, but it was a signal right, that uh, that, that performance, whatever... Uh, iteration or, or shape it took 
was mm -hmm. important to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think I'll, I'll, enough people uh, look at signals, because I think there's signals all around That's us. That's a really amazing thing, right, is that, that, you, that you say that, because now you know that I'm 64 years old, I look back and I realize, actually, life gives you lots of signals. You just got to pay attention. Yeah. Right? So, you know, uh, I'm now at this age with, you know, roughly 42 years or however long it's been in, in the business. And 40 years later, I have a reputation of being a fair and decent person. I don't think you'd find a lot of people that would tell you I screwed them along the way or anything like that. And the truth is that signals of that when I was like much, much younger, I knew that that's who I was. That's the way I handled my siblings. It's the way I handled my family. It's the way I handled friends in college and, and high school and so on. The other thing is I love the creative arts, but now that I look back, I was always also a kind of an architect at heart, mm -hmm. right? And now fast forward all these years later, what have I really done? I've been in the creative business. I've been a business guy that has represented other people's interests. And then really I've been an architecture in that I've taken people and pieced them together, or companies, and pieced them together and figured out how to make them all integrate in a way, uh, in a way that's positive and, and successful. Yeah. And those traits, those signals are very, very, you know, you know very early on. It, it's like it took me, it took me over 20 years, I think, or 15 years in the business to appreciate that I was naturally a good negotiator, mm -hmm. okay? But, you know, when I was 12 years old in Nazareth, my mother would send me to the market, and which I would have to walk like for miles to get to the market. And if the ground meat had too much fat, or if I didn't get the right price for whatever, you know, the watermelon, I was in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn to negotiate and make sure I got it. So, yeah. But in this business, it took me a long time to realize that it's not just a learned behavior. There's learned behavior, there's natural behavior. Yes. And I always thought whatever I did negotiating was learned behavior. I observed people, I learned quickly. Uh, you know, I did my homework, and then I became a good negotiator. But later in life, I realized, you know what? That was, it was learned behavior, but it was really most certainly a, a natural behavior. Yeah, and it's so interesting you say that. We, we have this nature versus nurture discussion all the time. Um, super good insight. And I, I, maybe i add one more thing to it, which is um, you also, it seems like it took you a little while to figure this out, but... I think it can take people um, too long sometimes. I think the sooner that we can arrive and understand that we need to lean into our strengths, um, double down on what we're good at naturally, mm -hmm. I think the quicker the path to success. Would you agree? Yes. And I think maybe the inclination is to try and bolster or strengthen the things that are weak. But that's, I don't know if that's a good use of time. You know, uh, if you're doubling down on what you're naturally good at, and as long as you love that thing, I think that's the real path to success. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. And also, um, it's interesting because I think for me now, 
it's what I find most satisfying in life, in life in general and my business life, is actually when I see certain qualities in people, whether they are my kids in life, you know, you know, like my son works here, or whether it's him, or uh, young people that I've worked with here for many years. You know, there's, been some, there's people here that have been here for 25 years, and some for 10 years, and so on. And when I see certain things in them, I think the most satisfaction I get now is to point that out to them so they can get to where they need to go a little more quickly. Yeah. And hopefully recognize that, you know, if I see something special that they do that's unique to them, I try to get them to build on that. And that gives me a lot of satisfaction, actually. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it, it reminds me of something that I heard Picasso was credited with, which he said, you know, all children are artists. Uh, the problem is, you know, we get talked out of that as we get older. Right. Right. And so we have whatever our gift is, whatever mm -hmm. that skill or innate talent, uh, sometimes, you know, whether that's a well-intended parent who says, you know, you should be a lawyer or a doctor, despite the fact that you're an amazing dancer or whatever mm -hmm. it is, uh, sometimes we, we get off course to what uh, um, is our essence or what we're sort of, you know, what we're meant to put on mm -hmm. this earth to do. Yeah. I heard another good quote, too, the other day that was really inspiring. I think it was a Shakespeare quote. The meaning of life is to, to, to figure out what your gift is. The purpose of life is to give it away. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that really is. That really is. So do you, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Yes, for sure. For so back sure. to this nature-nurture, do you think entrepreneurs are born or are, are we made? In other words, is it learned or is it something that we're born with? Uh, I don't know that it's learned or born with. I think maybe it's nurtured. And you know, I you don't know that you can, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You know, on the, on the other hand, I, I, you know, notice certain traits that I have that maybe my father had or my mother has. I notice certain traits in my son that are just like, you know, and in terms of just the only, you know, male. I have two two beautiful daughters as well, but he's the the male version of me, right? Yeah. I see many, but I don't know if that was nurtured or if that he was born with that. Yeah. You know. Uh, I think that he's you know he's got very uh, powerful instincts. That's actually an interesting thing from what you said a minute ago. I think that you know most people have. To everybody has intuition or instincts. Some people's intuition is, is uh, you know, deeper uh, than others. But everybody has a sense of who they really are and what they might really want to do. And then, like you said earlier, then ironically, they their direction is clouded by secondary pieces of information, and that's when they end up going another direction. That's why sometimes people... You know, they go off and they become whatever their parents thought that they should become. And 25 years later, they return to who they really are. Yeah. And they, they, they start pursuing that all they, over. They might have made a lot of money, but they're miserable. Right. Um, right. 
and this goes back to the comparison thing too. I think that's what also gets a lot of people off track. And I was, that's why I was curious about your path, you know, because that, that actor path is very deliberate and it's one that has a destination. And you, you already know what that looks like, but then you made, you made a left turn. Right. And um, I think that came from um, uh, maybe a level of kind of control over, I, I, I realized that being an artist you really don't have a lot of control. But loving the business and being in the business end of it, you have more control. Yes. Right? Yes. Maybe it came down to that. I, I'm not sure that I knew that at the time. Well, that resonates you know? with me, too, yeah. because I came from the studio business, uh, and about a decade ago, I cut the cord of having a real job, <laughs> receiving a paycheck every couple of weeks, Working in a team of 250 people at a large studio, having a 40 million dollar P&L, mm-hmm. uh, which was it felt very safe and secure, until it wasn't. Um, but I decided to, you know, parachute out of that airplane um, for more control mm-hmm. because I was tired of waiting to get picked. I was mm-hmm. tired of auditioning, you know, in metaphorically speaking, and so. Uh, even you know producing this show, uh, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. That level of control because you know we get to choose, you know we have the the creative freedom, the flexibility, and it's you know as scary as it is sometimes financially, it is it, it totally uh, the, the control factor and the creative freedom outweighs all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a beautiful thing. I can see that. I mean, we don't know each other, but I can see that actually in you and just your observations and the uh, and the questions you're asking that uh, that your mind kind of takes you down a uh, you know, a particular path that digs just a few layers down and and into people and then sort of capture a greater understanding of how you get from here to there. You know. I'm very, think, I'm very yeah. curious, and, and I feel privileged. Like it's, it's my uh, way more beneficial. I mean, I started producing this show very selfishly. Um, I had a startup 10 years ago. It was this little production company, and I desperately needed to know the secret sauce. And so I started reaching out to people who had, you know, had already been there and done that, who'd been successful. And, uh, and that's how this show has evolved. That's, I think that's why people watch, is because through you, you know, they're taking the knowledge and little nuggets of wisdom that they're learning today and taking it back into their side hustle or their uh, small business or their big project or maybe they're working in a company but they're trying to, you know, figure something out. Uh, and they, you know, this, these are yeah. insights, you know, to help yeah. them grow their business. That's really great. That's really great. And, and honestly, that's why I agreed to do this. I mean, I think when, uh, when Liz Marenton first uh, asked me, that's really the main reason because... I don't have any, you know, deep inner uh, desire to have people necessarily know my story. But I think about it and I go, well, you know what? If you're somehow a person that, you know, you pick up one little thing out of this that you think is, uh, is similar to where you are in life or what you want in life, and if that drives you to go, you know, be better, uh, then great. Then I feel like that's job well done. You know. Agreed. And I think that you know our metrics: attention is the asset, and value is the deliverable. Mm. So we're really focused on, you know, that value proposition, what we can deliver. 
So let's roll that into the next question, which is, let's talk about the F word for a second, uh, failure. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. Uh, some people even say failure is not an option, but that is actually a completely false statement, mm-hmm. at least in my experience, because you can't have success without failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, framing it like that, what has gone terribly wrong <laughs> in your personal or business life in order for you to get it completely right. And I'm not saying you've got it made and you know everything is, is roses today, but certainly we're sitting in a very nice office. You have a smile on your face. Things seem to be going relatively well. Talk to us about maybe the past in order to get us to the present. Wow, what an interesting question. I mean, I, and, and, you know, I don't... I, I, at this point in my life, it's like I say, I, I always say, certainly the last many years, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, by far, you know, friends, family, kids, grandkids, you know, business, everything, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. And <clears throat> so, and I also look back and I don't have many regrets, and so I don't know that I would say I've had things go wrong things to go right there's always the fear of failing at certain things right so uh, and that sometimes is a driver right that's that, that's sometimes a driver but I but I appreciate how you ask that because the way I would answer it would be this I think there has been things that have gone not right in my life that I've learned for from in a huge way probably too personal for this particular interview. But for instance, I did some like not such cool things when I was 18, 19 years old. A couple things that you would call dishonest, okay? But from that day forward, I have been the most honest person the most fair person, the most that, that I, I'm sort of known to be somebody that has integrity, whether it's people I work with or people I represent or, or whatever that is. I think all that comes from that wrongdoing when I was 18 and 19 years old. Yeah. So smart, it, right? So, so that is, I guess, a failure of some sort. And that, that really, you, you know, Change the trajectory. Change the trajectory in terms of, you know, living life with uh, with uh, <clears throat> with integrity and you know and and so on for sure. Well, that's what it's about, right? We yeah. we get to that crossroads and we get to choose. Do we repeat that same behavior? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, if you keep doing the same thing, I think it's probably Einstein that said this, right? You know. If you do the same thing, you can expect the same result. You got right. to do something different right. to get a different result. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it sounds like you did that. Yeah, and there's been you know relationships things that have been in my life that you know that would obviously uh, you know set the stage for other relationships, other way you do things in life. But I, you know, like a minute ago when I said you, I would hope someone would take something away from something. It's like I remember when I was 24 years old or so, I had a girlfriend. And I was always late for everything, okay? And I was an hour and a half late meeting her, and she was standing in front of my apartment door for an hour and a half. 
<laughs> okay. And that wasn't the first, whether it's friends or whatever it was, that's what I did. Then she got really, you know, really pissed off at me. And the next day I go to work and my boss says, do you know that doing that, it's just really when you break it all down, it's just a sign of disrespect. Because ultimately you're saying that you think your time is more valuable than hers. Right. So imagine if you were going to meet the President of the United States. Would you be an hour and a half late? Right. Okay. My point is, I've been the damn punctual person ever since. <laughs> and somehow he made, an, he made a, a deep impression on me. Yeah. And now I've been an impunctual person. I insist on people being punctual ar um, around me. Yep. And because it wasn't like, ah, you know, it's bullshit. You shouldn't be late for this. It was the fact that he broke it down to it's a sign of disrespect. Yeah. So the idea of disrespecting somebody just didn't seem right. And so... You know, so those are little things that then, you know, make an impression on you in the well, long term. Well, you know, even that, I mean, if we could break down that little lesson too, that takes a fair amount of humility. Because uh, I think one of the most difficult things, you know, we don't like to be chastised. We, uh, I, I would assume none of us likes to be told when we're wrong. Right. Uh, whether we accept it or not, you know, these right. are the facts. Right. Uh, but, I mean, that requires a fair amount of humility to sort of swallow that but that's pride. The fun, but that's a fun part of life, Brian. I mean, think about it, right? It would be so boring to just be stubborn and be right all the time. Well, I right? agree with you. So, I mean, like, what, 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 what good is that? But to have the ability to say, okay, well, you know what? Okay, this time I was, I was wrong. Good, yeah. good point. Or, uh, or you're equally as strong from in the other direction. Like, no way, <laughs> you know, I'm not seeing it your way. As yeah. long as you're not, you know, sort of one way. That, but it's boring to just be... You know, not not be not have humility about well, it. Agreed, agreed. Success is a terrible teacher. Uh, that's been said a lot. And also, back to this idea of failure. I mean, I I say it to the audience because I believe because just because I've heard it so much. So there's a fair amount of people out there who who are um, hiding. You know, they're not putting themselves out there like they could or should because they're afraid of a failure. Maybe they're stuck in this analysis paralysis, if you mm -hmm. want to call it that. Um, or they think, you know, if they take a risk, um, uh, it's not worth the reward. Or perhaps even someone in your shoes who's, you know, chairman and CEO, uh, you may look at the uh, people that are working for you and working with you. And at some com companies, the culture of failure is, is not great. You know, you lose your job if you make a mistake, whereas in other companies, they encourage it. And so I just think this idea of embracing failure um, as long as we don't fail too far that we can't come back and fight another day is really, really important. Yeah. I think um, embracing the possibility of failure is even equally as important, maybe even more important, right? Because the possibility of failure is in front of you. And then what do you do? Yeah. Do you drown in it or do you fight harder? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I think failure itself, you, you know, then I, I yes, you're, it's, it's to me, it, that's just another learning tool, right? Yes, the tuition you've got to pay in the school of hard knocks, right? It's exactly. To get to yeah. where you're going. But I, I think that when the possibility of failure is in front of you, what do you do? What do you do? 
for me, I 100% fight through it. Yeah. I mean, the possibility of failure has been in front of me thousands of times. And it's, you know, my willingness to fight through it is really what, rather than just back down, walk away, give up. Any, I don't have any of those things in me, for sure. And that's my mother. For me, and this has been a learned thing, it's, been a, it's a signal now. Whenever I meet the resistance, that's a signal that I'm on the right track. Right. 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 If someone says, you're crazy, that's a terrible idea, right. you'll never <laughs> do it, no one's doing this, why are you? Yeah. I think, aha, perfect. Okay. <laughs> and I run at that. You yeah. Know? yeah, it's funny because that's, that's like... Um, uh, my younger brother, Tommy, who's hugely successful and a great man, uh, he always says his favorite, when he's in the deal, his favorite word's no or not possible. Because mm -hmm. now he's in it. He's got to figure out how it's not a no and how it is possible. <laughs> right. You know. So you're saying there's a so, chance. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> that that's line. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go on the other side of the coin, which is what are you most proud of? Let's talk about the business a little bit, the business that you're in right now. Uh, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm proud of so many things, right? I'm, I'm most proud of, same thing, you know, I'm, I'm most proud of in my personal life as I am in business, which is about balance. You know, I think it's fair to say there are lots of people in my position in the business that uh, the, the higher level of success you reach sometimes the more screwed up your marriage or your kids or you know whatever that is and you know the better human being you are in your marriage and you're raising your children and so on the probably more success you gave up so I always had a deep desire to be a good father a good husband but yet a very very ambitious and a deep desire to be very successful I think I'm very proud of the fact that I, I have figured out how to balance both. I'm like a really good father to my kids. I put the right kind of time aside yeah. for them and my family, but yet I still work my butt off in business. And then the, the, different, the balance on the business end for me with that that I'm very, very proud of is I think that you can be a decent person and still highly successful. You don't have to lie, you don't have to manipulate, you don't have to, you just have to be willing to look somebody in the eyes and say something, uh, whatever, critical or aggressive or whatever it is, but still be you know, straightforward and honest. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud that I didn't give up any level of success with dishonesty and I didn't give up, uh, let me see how I say, I didn't, sorry, I didn't give up any level of my desired integrity with dishonesty to achieve success, yeah. but I also didn't give up, um, you know, a, a certain level of success by being honest and fair or having integrity. You, you know what I'm saying? I was, yeah. I, I'm very proud of that, very proud of to be able to do both successfully. Yeah, it's it's a rare thing, but also there's sort of a law of attraction uh, thing that happens along with that too. Is that you tend to attract that kind of client as well. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you know if you're in a position, uh, which all of us really are in the position to choose our clients, um, then you get to choose the people that you want to do business with. Even if you know 
even if they're the client and you're the uh, the agency, there still is a, a choice right, to right. take them on or not. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so break down, tell us what your business is about for people who don't know about you know your business. Talk to about the company. Well, this is you know this company paradigm is now one of a handful of the most important uh, uh, talent agencies in uh, in the entertainment business. Some of them have uh, uh, some of them are big media companies that have uh, sports businesses and um, all kinds of other businesses. Uh, we've actually stayed away from sports, and we've we have we're mostly be about the art. We 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 like to say for ourselves that we are for the art and for the artists, and um, uh, so we we have a big music business, big television business, big film business. We represent many actors. Uh, I don't know, maybe a, you know, maybe a couple of thousand actors, writers, directors, producers. Uh, we package television shows. Um, and then, of course, we have one of the biggest music businesses in the world, and uh, so you know we book all those you know concerts around the world. We have many pretty amazing clients, the biggest in the world, really. Uh, but we have stayed away from businesses outside of what is in service of the artist. Um, you know, sports business is a great business. But we have consciously made a choice not to be in that business uh, because it's a little bit outside being an artist. You know, that feeds more like your branding divisions and and other areas. And it's just it's a like I say, it's a good it's a good business. Yeah. But for us, we wanted our competitive edge to be everything that revolves that that is uh, around the artist. So then, what is the hardest part about? Being you, what is the hardest part? What keeps you up at night? Nothing. <laughs> you got a good team. <laughs> it's terrible to say that, but you know, not not really a whole lot keeps me up at, at night. I I feel like we've got a pretty good handle on everything. You know, um, people here are really good people. They know what's expected of them. Uh, you know, my family, I'm very fortunate. All three of my kids are now all grown up and, and married and they're having kids of their own and they're good. That would keep me up at night. If one of them was not good, that would keep me up at night. Maybe uh, I'll ask it a different way. Um, so, you know, someone who's not in this industry, what, what's something unexpected or something they wouldn't know about this business or, you know, managing artists? What's something that we may not expect? I mean, you know, um, the kind of cliche image that I have is, you know, you walk into uh, the room with, you know, the star and, and he says, you know, I want my water at 52 degrees and, you know, I want only green M&Ms in the bowl. Or, but what's something unexpected we might not know about managing talent that's important? The devastating effects of them leaving you at a time when they shouldn't be leaving you. Do you have any specific examples? Can you talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, because usually it's, it's the first time it happens is the one that's more impactful, right? So in the, you know, early 90s, uh, I was representing uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Lawrence Fishburne, when uh, the movie Boys in the Hood was first released, right? And... Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is an amazing talent, always has been, still is my client to this day. 
you know, all, all these years, 27, 28 years later, and he's pretty great. Cuba, on the other hand, was, you know, younger and more uh, vulnerable, if you will. You know, he maybe thought bigger was better or whatever he thought at the time. You know, he was always a good guy, but sure enough, right after Boys in the Hood, he decided to leave our small, our then small agency, was called the Gores Fields Agency, and go with one of the bigger agencies. And I was as, as depressed as can be, you know, when, when that happened. Then he made a couple, three other movies that he wasn't that happy with, and then came back. And he came back, and then that's when we got him Jerry Maguire, right? So game I worked very hard that that was a game changer for him, and it's a long, complicated story of how it happened. Worked very hard to make that happen. But Jerry Maguire happened, and the same thing over again. He wins Academy Award, he wins a Golden Globe Award, and then he decides, you know... Grass is greener. The grass is greener somewhere else. <laughs> and, of course, ever since then, we haven't, you know, we haven't... Um, we have said any time he's wanted to come back, we haven't, yeah. you know, haven't gotten there, but... But anyhow, and he's a good guy. I have nothing terrible to say about Cuba Jr. That's not the point. The point is that devastated me at the time. And those are the unexpected things. You would think, like, when everything is going great, why would somebody want to leave and, and change? And it isn't always the right decision, you know. But those are things that are, uh, you know, answer your question. So is this business... All about who you know, or is it more about what you know? I mean, how did you do that? I mean, Jerry Maguire, huge movie. Yeah. Uh, it's not, uh, it's, uh, that's the thing I love about the business, actually. It's a combination of both, right? If, if you don't know anything, or you don't have a creative point of view, if you can't read a script and underst understand what that script could be. Yeah, see the vision. It doesn't matter how many people you know, right? It's, it, you know, so on the other hand, you could know a lot, but if you don't have any relationships out there and you haven't nurtured relationships out there, then what difference does it make how much knowledge you have? Because you, you got to have relationships to make things happen. So, and I think that's kind of what I love about the business. It's a, it's a, it's a, you have to have a, some of both to be really successful. Now, some people have lots of relationships and not as much knowledge. They can have some levels of success, success but to be really successful, you, you have to have the ability to, to do both. So what advice do you have then for someone who is just getting started and wants to be you in, you know, 30 to 40 years, you know, if they're just getting started? Like, because the argument is, well, you know, I have all this ambition and, you know, I'm gaining knowledge, but, you know, the the the... the bigger companies, bigger agencies, the bigger players, none of them will give me the time of day or, or return my call. What do you say to that? How do you break through uh, to the well, bigger... You have to let, I think you have to let the confidence... You, you have to have a certain level of confidence and then you have things you know. I think you have to let the things you know drive you to get to the people you need to know. Right, and you, it, it it really starts with a level of confidence, of understanding. Remember, I talked about intuition earlier, or instincts. Understanding who you are and what you want to do. I mean, right. the fact is, 
I am, you know, running and proudly one of the biggest companies in the business. And I am the only one, I think, the only head of any agency that didn't come through a traditional training program. I started working at an agency for free for 22 months mm -hmm. just to have them give me a job. And I started working for them for free for 22 months and learned the ropes that way. Eventually, I started making $70 a week and and then, you know, built relationships and then started to have even more confidence in whatever my creative input was to a particular situation, whether it's an actor's performance or, yeah. or uh, you know, a script or whatever. So, uh, you know, how do you do that, right? How do you end up running a company this size, not coming through any of the big agency training programs, and not necessarily being, you know, next to people, because, uh, you know, lots of those agencies are built with four or five people that are of similar age and similar levels of ambition, yeah. and they're, you know, they get out there and do it. And, and my, my path has been different. Yeah. Well, I just and, heard you say it. So, you know, so how did that happen? It had to happen with a certain kind of, you know. Well, I just heard it. I heard you say basically this idea of proximity. That you put yourself, you know, if you want to be a ball player, first, you know, go sell peanuts at the ballpark. Yes. You're, you're in proximity of the place exactly. that you eventually exactly. want to be. And then, you, you know, you work your way down from the cheap seats selling peanuts. And, you know, maybe next year clean up the, uh, the, the, uh, the rooms and, you know, right. then you pick up a ball and someone sees you've got an arm. And, you know, then you get a tryout and all of a sudden, right. you know, and you you're just on the have team. To, and then you just have to have the good sense to know. You know, you, we've been in these situations, right? Whether it's the guy selling peanuts or whatever, he could, like, you know, start a, the wrong conversation with you and bore you to death, and then you're moving on. You're going to the other thing. Or you yeah. could think, this guy that's selling peanuts is really interesting, yeah. and I want to get to know him more. Yeah. And I think that's the early on of being, if you're saying somebody wants to be me, what would they do? The early on aspects of that are really knowing, like, when you finally get a studio head on the phone, or a network head on the phone, and you want to, you know, talk to them about a client, you got to know, like, get to the point in 30 seconds. There is no, hey, how you doing? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw you at uh, this blah, blah, blah. There's none of that. Yeah. You have to have the good sense to know, get to the point. Yeah. Because otherwise, they're not returning your call the next time yeah. unless they know you're someone that just is... Is, yeah. and then, of course, you build relationships, you become friendly, you start to go to lunches and dinners, and that, that's a whole other level of the region. But early on, you have to have the judgment to know who your audience is. Excellent advice. You know, I mean, my God, I, I went to a, um, it was actually a basketball game. My, uh, my younger brother, Tommy, owns the Detroit Pistons. And it was a number of years ago now, but it was one of the early on, like the opening game or something like that. And I had someone walked up to me, walk up to me, that was in our business, in the, the music end of the business. And he started the most ridiculous conversation with me that didn't belong with me. He was like stoned out of his mind. And... 
I've had over the years multiple people bring up this person's name to say, he's really good, would like to do this, would like to do that, and I have been yeah. shut down to the whole thing, would not, would not even hear it for another second. Yeah. Right? So you, you can't make those mistakes when you're, you know, working your way up in the business. Sometimes you just get yeah. one shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even though, even if the guy wasn't stoned out of his mind, he was just having an inappropriate conversation with a guy in my position. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I, I want to recap the, that wisdom because it's so important what you just kind of said. Um, you talked about proximity. I think a lot of people are uh, unwilling to pay their dues. Uh, and, you know, I used to be one of them. I, I probably was entitled and I was probably selfish. And then, you know, when I started my own company, I had a rude awakening very quickly that it was you know, either sink or swim, and I decided to swim. Uh, but I think that idea of proximity, put yourself in a position where you can win, even if you have to take a pay cut or not get paid at all, eat dirt you know, for a couple of years. If you're in proximity of that person and you've got the chops, you, you're likely to succeed. The second thing you said was um, you have to know your audience. And knowing your audience is, is key. Knowing yourself, self-awareness, you underscored, also very important. But knowing the other person. And, and I get this, too, at my level. You know, you're here, I'm here. But, you know, the same thing happens to me all the time where people will say, can I pick your brain? And I just think, well, that's very selfish. <laughs> uh, I happen to know a lot about what I know. But, right. like, what are you offering me? I don't even know you. Who are you? Why should I introduce you to, you know, this person who took me 10 years to get to know and you want it just like that? I don't even know you. Like, it's selfish, right? So knowing your audience, know what's, knowing what's valuable to the other person is, is I mean, it, it's kind of ridiculous that we have to talk about it like this because it's so obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be so obvious to a lot of people. I don't know. Um, but I, those are very, very important lessons that you said uh, in a very eloquent, eloquent way, but I think most people take for granted. Very yeah. important. I think the, um, well, I, I have to say this has actually been kind of fun because it gets me to think a little bit about, uh, you know, different than what my normal kind of daily thinking patterns are with what I, with what I do. Um, but as I'm sitting here with you, I think about I, I always say, and I have been saying for the, this for years, that the greatest compliment you could give someone, especially a young person, is to bet on their potential, right? And, but I never, so I've said that, and I've always believed that. But now something else happening with this interview with you, which is, I'm thinking, what would happen when you're the one that's willing to bet on your own potential? When somehow life gets you to a point to where you believe enough in your own potential that you're willing to jump in and do whatever it takes. Take pay cuts, work for free, whatever it is, because you believe in your potential mm -hmm. of making the right decisions and, the right, and having the right judgment when the time comes. I think that is only when the magic happens. Yeah. Playing it, uh, another saying I really like is, uh, the riskiest thing you can do sometimes is play it safe. Yeah. And I was playing it safe for a long time when I was working at the studios, right. playing it safe. Right. I learned a ton. Um, and it was great fun. I had a great time. But I had no idea of what I was capable of until 
I cut the cord. Yeah. And was completely <laughs> solo. Yeah. 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 And I have no regrets. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. That's awesome.